0: Welcome to the Startup Field Guide, an unusual ventures podcast where we learn from the successful startup leaders of today how their companies truly found product market fit. I'm your host, Sandhya, and in every episode, I'll dive into a different aspect of early stage company building with our guests. Let's go! Our guest today is the CEO and co-founder of Shippo, Laura Berenswu. Shippo is a unicorn in e-commerce enablement and offers merchants multi-carrier shipping software so they can compete with giants like Amazon on delivery experience. Over 100,000 brands trust Shippo to make sure their customers love how their products are delivered. So Laura, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this.
0: Yes, and you know we always start with the origin story uh, of uh, companies like Shippo, and you started it way back in 2014 as a 24 year old. Yeah, uh, I was you know barely tying my shoelaces when I was 24. <laughs> so please to tell us more about how Shippo was born.
1: Yeah, so I, I came to, um, I'm originally from Germany, and, and so is my co-founder. And um, the two of us went to school together in, in Switzerland, actually, and um, have dabbled a little bit in startups there. And at, at some point, I was just very curious about what it's like to work in a startup in San Francisco. So um, my I, I started like just thinking about like working for a company in SF, and um started looking around of like how to make that how to make that dream happen. And um Angelist was like the the most obvious way to get started. So I, I created my account on Angelist, I started applying for companies, and um unfortunately I did not hear back from from any company through that. So I uh, I like kept trying, didn't really work. I started going to like founder like conferences or startup conferences, and then by pure chance at a at a conference in, in Switzerland and ran into a, a Y Combinator founder. So um, that was kind of a, a, like a really lucky coincidence because we had a good conversation and the, 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 the person like volunteered to send my resume to the YC mailing list. And overnight, I got a whole lot of good responses, mostly for internship positions, and started interviewing with YC companies that were super early stage and got a a summer internship at a a fintech company in San Francisco. So that allowed me to come over and experience working at a a San Francisco startup firsthand. It was a a very early stage company right out of YC, like having raised their seed round and now looking to, to raise a Series A in the future. And um, it was a, an awesome, a really, really awesome experience. Had a, had a great time there. And from there, like this is a, a long-winded way to tell a Shippo story. But from there, I I was talking with my now co-founder about starting our own company. I uh, was really inspired by the the San Francisco startup environment. And um, the two of us were brainstorming about what kinds of companies we we could start, where, where we could have good, like, Founder, founder, market fit, and we couldn't really like come up with any revolutionary ideas, so we just decided to um, start an e-commerce company, it's just a, an e-commerce store. Nothing, nothing too special. Let's just start selling things on the internet and see what happens. So we we built our store using Shopify, um, using Stripe, and started selling products on the internet. Like we had kind of a, a bigger vision of what that should look like, but the first iteration was really let's just sell products on the internet and see what happens. And, um, that was kind of the first time we, we dealt with shipping and, um, the, the experience was subpar. Like we had to go to USPS, stand in line, hand over our packages is not really the the kind of the seamless experience provided by like a, a Shopify or a Stripe. And then started looking into, um, like software tools to fix that. And I think to our surprise, like there was no good or like no super intuitive, easy to use software tool to help us like figure out which shipping provider is best, um, how to ship our packages, how to do it from home. And and yeah, we started thinking about shipping as a problem for the first time back then. And kind of some point just like started talking to other online merchants, asking them how they're doing shipping and and validating our our idea. It seemed like it is a really big problem. Like every single e-commerce store needs to ship. There's no way around that. And um, when we heard from other online merchants that they were having a hard time as well, we we decided to just drop our online store and focus on on building shipping software full time. So that's kind of the origin story. It's been a, a windy road like since since we decided that. Like it was not like a, a straight path for us. But um yeah, we've been building like like we started working on our MVP sometime in 2014 and got some customers like as as, as early as possible. And um, have been scaling it since.
0: Really amazing. I think I really love the way that you found authenticity while just trying to build something, and discover discovered that there are you know probably millions of people exactly in your position going through the same awful shipping experience. So, now obviously, the big focus of this show is this idea of like finding product market fit. And we typically divide it into roughly two stages. So, first, like, what is the unique, radical idea you have around solving a problem? Like, what was the approach that you needed to validate, test, and, you know, see if it actually works and delivers on its promise? And then, second, kind of, who is like the desperate customer? Who's willing to like give a less than a year old startup uh, a, a a try and like why do they represent an attractive market segment? Uh, could you break these two down for us? Like, what was your approach in that product market fit journey? And you know, what were some of the early maybe surprises or or experiences you had that really informed your strategy?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then as I said, it was like a windy road. It was not a straight path. So we have a lot of like good learnings from there. Our goal, our vision, is to build the shipping layer of the internet, and that sounds like a pretty grand vision. But I want to like bring it back to where we started. When we when we started building this, our our thought was okay. Like we're having a hard time shipping, and other e-commerce merchants are having a hard time shipping as well. How how do we take this from here? And first, we were looking around, and we kind of tried to look at other companies that were that were comparable and we thought okay so maybe buying a shipping label could be like buying an airline ticket so maybe we should build the kayak for shipping that was our first thought and we started building something there showed it to a few customers and the the feedback was well like they're shipping hundreds of packages a day like and buying one label after another is really not helping them so that was that was a good just feedback point or data point from our customers or potential future customers. So we went back to the drawing board and we were like, okay, so how do we enable merchants to buy many shipping labels a day in an automated way without them having to go through a dashboard every time? And back at that point in time, a bunch of uh, enterprise or yeah B2B API companies were on the rise. So you're looking at at Stripe, at Twilio, thought that was like a really good analogy for what we're doing here as well. So how about we, build, we built the Twilio for shipping? And um that we that was uh started focusing on or, or started like iterating on that idea, building an, an API that connects to different shipping providers. And at the beginning, it was really just a wrapper around existing APIs, making them easier, more developer-friendly, easier to use, better documentation. I think like uh, around the, the pain point, it's really that a lot of these shipping APIs are like kind of you have to be some kind of shipping expert to understand how to read the documentation. You have to write in for, for access to the API docs, it's, it's, or API keys. It's like not, not super developer friendly. So removing that friction we thought was going to be a good first step. And, um, we I think the other part though is like a lot of our customers they they want to buy shipping labels from multiple different shipping providers, not just from one. so that's the that's the other pain point of like you if you integrate one API, that's pretty hard, but then you have to integrate three, four, five, six APIs. that's even more difficult. So that was, I think in theory a pretty good idea. and we we started talking to customers with our like first iteration of the API. And we learned that customers who could integrate the API are probably further along in their journey and would not really trust an API that has zero shipping volume going through it. And that was that was our first problem. The idea resonated, but a lot of these customers were asking, like, how many, how many packages are you ready shipping? How how much like how, how scalable is this? And given that given that shipping is a, an essential part of of their their infrastructure, it was hard to get them to trust an API with not a ton of volume or almost like zero volume going through it. Right.
0: So it sounds like like that they already had enough technical resources at hand. Uh, so so they they could actually use your APIs, but that in, that yeah. itself also disqualified them <laughs> from yes. being kind of yes. a, you know desperate enough customer <laughs> for you, right? Like uh, amazing. <laughs> totally. please, please go on.
1: Totally. Yeah. So that was again a really interesting realization because. The idea resonated with these types of customers but they were not willing to trust us given that we didn't have enough credibility credibility in terms of just volume and load like scale coming through coming through the api that we're offering and then at the same time we were also talking to customers who said this is a great idea but i have no idea what an api is i would use this tomorrow but I don't have any developer to integrate an API. And then I think that was where we kind of found the desperate customer. It's like, okay, this is this is a store or a merchant that is small enough, or this is a real pain point, but we have to make it easy for them because the API, like the integrating an API is a non-starter. It's not something they can do. They're, they're not technical enough. So we decided to build an app on top of the API and just connect that to the Shopify app store. And we we really just started with the Shopify app store because it's a good way to validate. Right now, at this point, we have connections to a whole lot of different app stores, but at that point in time, we just chose one to to validate this idea. And through that, we found really small customers where they weren't concerned about how many packages are already going through Shippo. It was so easy to install and connect that they're able to start shipping within minutes. And we, that's where we started getting our, our first customers, getting volume through that. And then over time, because we started shipping with those SMBs first, we were able to start telling potential API customers that there is actually volume coming through the API, that we have a good amount of customers using it, even though they were using the app, which in turn was a client of the API. So, um so yeah, that, that's kind of the journey right now. We have API customers, we have app customers, we have platforms that are using our, our API. But in order for us to like kind of jumpstart this, we had to build an app on top of the API because no one was willing to integrate an API that was not, not validated or, or not unproven. Right. Makes sense.
0: That very, very interesting kind of shift in positioning, your product roadmap, like kind of changing
1: all that. But I think at that point in time, the team was so small. It was like my co-founder, myself, and like one or two other people, that there was no real product roadmap. There was nothing that we were shifting super dramatically. It's like we we're talking to customers pretty, pretty early and frequently. And then through that, just kind of a lot of these things, like the first iteration of the app was maybe built in a day or two. And like we're still built we're still dealing with that that sort of tech debt. But um <laughs> it, it got us to market pretty fast.
0: Right. Makes sense. So maybe segueing to team, how did you think about, you know, once you had that early set of small customers starting to use the product, how did you think about team fundraising? What, what was it that you needed to make sure that you could get to like the next phase? And and, and how do you even think about next phase metrics? What, what, what did those early days uh, look like?
1: Yeah. So in those early days, we focused on a single metric. And I think that's where founders can go wrong. At this point in time, we're optimizing across a variety of different metrics. At that point in time, we're saying just we're picking one metric and we're gonna grow that metric week over week. And our metric at that point in time was label volume. So just top line label volume. And when we connected it to the when we when we built our app and connected that to the Shopify App Store, like we started getting a good amount of just Customers giving it a try, and because I was doing customer support myself, I asked people to leave reviews. And we're having like really authentic conversations with our customers, including telling them that we're like a an SMB just like them. We're we're a three person team. We're just trying to build this and would really like benefit from them helping with spreading the word, leaving customer reviews, sharing this with other people. And kind of through word of mouth and positive customer reviews, we got a good amount of good amount of traction just purely through the Shopify app store. And we're focused on growing shipping labels week over week with that growth rate that looked like really nice. It looked like a, you know, the 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 like the, the perfect hockey stick growth rate. We're able to start raising like a, a seed round from San Francisco investors. And that point in time, it was Uncork and, and version one ventures who let the, the seed. And I think over time, we, we learned that you have to focus on not just on label volume, you have to focus on net revenue, you have to focus on gross margins, you have to focus on a whole lot of other set of metrics. But it was really important that at that moment, we're just focused and just trying to validate one thing, which is that people are using this to buy shipping labels. Makes sense
0: and if you had to go back to those early days of Shippo now after you know everything that you have learned in the past 8 years do you think you would have done anything differently uh, i'm curious maybe maybe not but anything that stands out to you as like oh you know still still paying off those debts
1: No, I I, I think my my overall philosophy is like, we we did make a whole lot of mistakes. And I think that the majority of mistakes were probably hiring mistakes. But it it got us to where we are here. I think reflecting on hiring, it's been a good learning for me to know that different people, there, there are people who are good at building and people who are good at scaling. And you have different profiles at different stages. And I think early on, we're pretty impressed with, oh, this person was at Facebook before, was at Google before. Like, if they're good enough for Google, they must be good enough for Shippo. And it turns out that Google is just at a very different stage. And the kind of person you need there or who would succeed in that environment is very different compared to a person who is successful in, in this like startup stage environment. So I think that, that was a, a good learning experience just around hiring.
0: I would love to dig into that a little bit more because I think this is, you know, by far probably the most common hiring mistake I see early stage founders make. And there is some value in getting advice from people who have seen scale as well. So it's an easy mistake to make. What were some of the kind of profiles that worked really well for you? Like what were the characteristics of your early hires that looking back, if you, you know or advising another founder starting a company again you would say you know this is what you should look for in your first 10 first 20 hires
1: so i think it's a mix between people who are just pretty hungry they there is some kind of ideally they have some kind of work experience and and in a in a in another startup but just people who are pretty hungry smart and able to pick things up fast able, like willing to to get their hands dirty and like wear a ton of different hats, especially in this early stage environment, someone who is not too good to make their own presentation or like jump in for another coworker, even though the coworker is on a totally different team. And that is, I think that's a, it's a pretty rare, it's a pretty like specific profile and it, it starts with, yeah, they like, they might not have as much experience, but they're willing to learn. And they're they're willing to get their hands dirty and 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 really like get in the weeds and understand what's going on and, and figure it out. I think the, the the sad truth though is that some of these, the majority of these people, are really good at that stage and might not scale to the next stage. So that is that is uh, like there is as the st- as the company grows into a different phase, you will need different kinds of people. Makes sense.
0: I'd love to kind of bring us a little bit into the future. A recent fast right now with the pandemic. Was that a big t- tipping point for Shippo's business? Or, you know, what was it like just making decisions around this complex problem of shipping with all the chaos that the pandemic brought to the logistics industry as a whole?
1: The pandemic, on a high level, what happened was that everyone, because they were staying at home, were starting to order on the internet. And that just like increased e-commerce volumes like more people were buying on the internet long-term habits might have been formed and and that then leads to more people shipping things and then the shipping providers being like they only have a certain amount of capacity because these are offline offline businesses where capacity is not just something you can scale up as easily but you have to buy more trucks hire more people to do that and um and these offline businesses were or, or like logistics companies were already in a crunch because With the pandemic, people might be sick. They might be out. They're not, they're not, there's not that much of a workforce available. So I think for us, we saw just all of our customers shipping more than before. That was, that was a big one because they were selling more, shipping more, more people buying from them. The other one is like, we saw a whole lot of new customer signups, which is that previously offline businesses were moving online at a rapid pace in order to still be able to reach their customers. And then we we saw just yeah, the our on the supply side, our shipping providers trying to keep up with the with the influx of of shipping volume and building up all of that cap and having to build up all of that capacity. It was interesting for us to kind of I, I started hearing the term essential service for the first time in my life. And it's like shipping is an essential service. And it's it's interesting to think about it that way because like earlier in the show or in this recording, we talked about Something that's a real pain point and solving a real pain point. And yeah, like shipping is such a big pain point that it is an essential service. And um, I think that was that was for sure like a good realization and a good rallying cry for the for the team as well, that even though everyone was like kind of adapting to this new reality of working from home and this uncertain environment we are providing an essential service and our customers in in line with our value of like helping our customers win. Our customers need to go first here. Makes sense.
0: Uh, How did you think about kind of what's happening in the larger supply chain industry? You know, you were kind of at this nexus and had a great view of what was going on. What were some of your observations and kind of opportunities maybe that Shippo can take advantage of in the future?
1: Yeah. So I think what we saw was that there are a lot of new shipping providers being formed. One person's problem is another person's opportunity. It's like the (laughs) the problems of the shipping providers that they were at capacity kind of led to new shipping providers being able to step up and either like build up capacity faster and become more significant, or new, new shipping providers forming in the first place. And there were a lot of startups actually that were built during that period of time, or like that became more popular during that period of time that were providing shipping services. So for, from our end, the, the takeaway there is having a network of different shipping providers is super important because if one shipping provider has a crunch, then we're able to always shift volume to another one and, and make sure that our customers are, are always covered and don't have to stop shipping. Yeah, I think other than that, like it's, it's interesting now also seeing coming out of the pandemic of kind of... No one predicted the pandemic. No one predicted that this would be like, we would like get into a, a recession afterwards. So it's it's interesting to see what kinds of consumer behaviors are are sticking. And like right now, our e-commerce growth is for sure slowing. And um probably like we'll see a little bit of reduced e-commerce growth for over the, the course of the next few months. Makes sense.
0: I want to talk a little bit about kind of how you think about learning how to be a leader, right? I think, especially though, for those of us who join startups, uh, we are often always that kind of hungry doer persona when we first start a company or join an early stage startup. And I've always felt that The CEO is the only role where you have no excuse. You need to just evolve and become a different person every six months as you are scaling the business, because the business needs you to be a different person as it grows. How do you invest in your own evolution? You know, what have been some, you know, role models, coaches, books? How do you think about that?
1: Yeah, so let's see. I think the the big upside about San Francisco that I for sure benefited from was that there are a whole lot of founders around here. It's really easy to meet other founders. And the like the VCs do a pretty good job of connecting the portfolio and anywhere you go you could you could run into a founder and people are typically very open about sharing their experiences and for me personally like talking through what's going on with another founder who's gone through the same thing or is going through the same thing is very like refreshing and, and therapeutical because you realize that it's not not just a, a problem that you are facing yourself but it's a common problem that typically all founders are facing I think that's been a, a good realization of just The majority of problems that I'm facing or Shippo is facing are very common. And like every other founder is probably going through the same thing. And then I've also been able to work with an executive coach since like for for a few years now, and that's been extremely helpful as well. Just having someone there who you can talk through some of your problems in a more structured way and kind of get a good gut check of, does this, does this sound right? Am I totally off?
0: And what would be your advice to other first-time st- seed stage founders right now? You know, They're getting started. It's 2022. There's a recession, but there's also a lot of money in the market. What, what would be your advice?
1: I think my, my main advice would be to not get distracted by all the macro stuff that's going on. It is... It, it, good companies are are great companies are being built in a in a bear market, so I think now is a great time to to build a company as long as you're focused and you're you're not distracted. I think it's also it's pretty good actually for for everyone to have a forcing function on just focus on what really matters. I think when there's a lot of money out there, you can like get distracted building many things hiring over hiring people so it's it's good to like maintain that that focus on what what really really matters for your business what you need to validate. It sounds like there's a consensus that will come out of this recession fairly fast. That this will be a, a quick thing. So fingers crossed that this is a, a quick thing. And I think once in a year or two, like the funding environment should be should be back to to fully normal. And I, I'd say like preserving the runway to get to the next. 18 months and come out of that is is like top of mind for for everyone, not just seed stage founders.
0: Thank you so much for spending time with us, Laura. Today this was so refreshing, and I really enjoyed talking with you. And I think our founders will also find this super helpful. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Startup Field Guide with Sangha, an unusual ventures podcast. Stay connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you liked what you heard, please rate our show and help us reach more aspiring founders with lessons on how to find product market fit. Thanks for listening. Until next time.